Well, this week uh, was a pretty historical week for our country. Um, Our country gathered to watch and listen and celebrate the inauguration of our 44th president, United States, Barack Obama. And in his inaugural speech, among other things, he said this. Today, I say to you that the challenges we face are real. They are serious and they are many. They will not be met easily or in a short span of time. But know this, America, they will be met. On this day, we gather because we have chosen hope over fear, unity of purpose over conflict and discord. And I would agree with him. We do face significant challenges as a nation, as a human race, as families, as individuals. But I also agree with him that we will overcome because we have chosen to hope and trust in an eternal, all powerful and all loving God. And because he has created us for such a day as this. A couple of weeks ago, we began together as a church uh, what we're calling a 40 days of purpose It included 40 days of fasting. And uh, I hadn't counted. Somebody suggested that we're on day 21 today of that. Is that okay? I'm getting nods. So 21, that means we're over the hill and we have uh, less than halfway to go. Uh, Don't know how you're doing. I hope that's going well. Over these 40 days, we have been considering uh, two key questions. Why am I here and what is my purpose? Last week, Clara talked about the first purpose of our lives, which is to love God with everything we've got. In Matthew 22, we're told the story of a religious leader coming to Jesus and asking him, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? In asking this question, we're told in the previous verse that the man was trying to trap Jesus. And so to get this, you have to understand that over the centuries, Jewish leaders and teachers had identified hundreds and thousands of very specific, intricate, detailed rules and regulations about all aspects of life that they said were based from the five books of Moses, but went way beyond things that Moses said. And so this religious leader is coming. He's asking Jesus out of all those thousands to pick one that he thought would be the most important. The leader's goal was to cause division in the crowds. For any one that Jesus might uh, express would sort of faction the crowd in different groups and belief systems. But rather than causing division as that leader had hoped, Jesus' answer ended up closing their mouths. And what Jesus said was, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus said your first and greatest purpose in life is to love God because he made you to experience his love and then to love him back in return. But Jesus didn't stop there in answering the man's question. He went on saying a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. 
By this, basically, Jesus was saying that everything contained in the Bible, all the law of Moses, all of the prophets, Psalms, all of the various books can be summarized in these two commandments. Love God and love others. Which means at some level that we can summarize our purpose in life in that same way. That we exist for the purpose of being lovers of God and lovers of others. Now this week as I read and uh, listened to the chapters in the Purpose Driven Life book that many of us are reading, I was extremely impacted. I've been attending church since I was a little kid. I've been reading the Bible since I was a teenager. I've been studying the Bible since I was in college. I've been teaching the Bible for over 30 years. But this week, as I listened to Pastor Rick Warren teach about our purposes, I got something that fully grasped to the depth that I received this week. I think all of you can agree that to hear or read something doesn't necessarily mean we get it or understand it or believe it. In fact, sometimes the more we hear something, the less we get it because we think we've got it. And we sort of tune out. And the Bible uses a word that I think really distinguishes the difference between just sort of hearing something and really getting it. And that's the word revelation, which, of course, comes from the word to reveal. And that, I think, is what happened to me this week. I can't say that I have fully uh, implemented what I grasped, but it has been significant and still is and was this morning for me. As I reflected on these two commandments, to love God and to love others, I was able to grasp a deeper significance to their truth. And what I got is that the reason we exist is to love God and others. Now, I just said that a few minutes ago, right? But no matter what our background, no matter what our education, no matter what our social status, no matter what we do for a living, no matter what our marital status or our financial status, the reason we exist, the reason that we're on the planet is to love God and love others. And what that meant for me was that every day, everything I do has its significance in that it allows me to love God and or love others. Let me just show you how I am getting that this works. I'm a business manager for a Christian nonprofit ministry. That ministry works with boys and teenagers to lead them to Christ uh, and disciple them to become godly men. As the business manager, I don't, of course, work with the boys or teens, so I'm not leading any of them to Christ or discipling them. As the business manager, I manage the accounting and the administration. Now, that might seem to not directly allow me to love God or others, but in reality, everything I do in my job supports my boss and the men who do work with the boys and teenagers. On my way to work, I often stop at the post office to pick up the mail. Now, that as well would not seem to facilitate me loving God or others. And sometimes it doesn't. But many days I have the chance to open the door for someone or greet someone. And in those simple acts, I am showing love. I am showing just get out of my car, rush in, get the mail and leave. Making sure that I get out of the parking lot ahead of, you know, the other guy who was trying to get out at the same time. 
But no, I can show deference and element of love by pausing and allowing him to go before me. You see, every every moment of every day, we have the opportunity to love God and love others. If we're alone, we can engage with God. If we're around others, we can demonstrate love to them. Now, I suspect, like me, the trouble that you might have, however, is that we tend to compartmentalize our lives and time. When I wake up, I get ready for work, I make my mocha. Head out the door, I'm driving to work, I can use that time to pray or focus on God. Currently, I'm uh, using my uh, new iPod that I got for Christmas, and I have the Purpose Driven Life on audio book, and I'm listening to the chapter, finding that, if actually, I get to listen to it twice, because 30-minute drive, and it's about 15 minutes or so. I uh, try, and most often do, get to work early so that I can spend half an hour, 45 minutes uh, with God, having a devotional time, writing in my journal. And then I go to work, and I try and be a good worker. Later that day, of course, I head home. I try and connect with my family, or I work on my desk, taking care of bills or taxes. When I go to community group or church, I try to connect with people there. When I have time, I try and work around my yard or house. And my tendency is to compartmentalize my life, which in the end leads to fragmentation and a lack of focus. But God's word says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. And I would suggest that we can apply that verse not only to our work, that which we do 40 hours a week or 50 or 10 or whatever, but that applies to every task, everything we do, making the mocha. Anybody like mocha out there? I'm making mine these days with um, two, I have two uh, powdered packets of uh, the Splenda cocoa and uh, about 18 ounces of coffee, uh, about, you know, three or four ounces of soy milk, and I'm, I'm mixing in now a caramel uh, in it. It's good. Every morning, that's what I, and yeah, it's good. All right. I'll make one for you sometime if you want. Everything we do is to be a part of the contiguous whole of loving God and loving others, including our work, including all the things that we do every day of our lives. Everything can be done as unto the Lord. So, as a career, do you write computer programs? Do you work in or for the military? Do you clean toilets? Answer phones? Do internet research? Track blood samples, give care through physical therapy or counseling, medicine. Do you stock shelves, do data entry, financial management, teaching? Doesn't matter. Those things can be done with all our heart as an act of worship to God and often have the opportunity to extend love and care to others while we're doing that. Does that make sense? Any light bulbs for anybody? Any revelation happening? Try this. Uh, let's try this. Give me feed, feedback. What are you hearing me say? Well, I've, I've got numerous times that I'm going to invite you to talk to me. What are you hearing me to say in these comments? Okay. God wants to be involved in everything we do.
Okay. Okay, you got to say it more briefly so I can restate it so it gets on the audio. Okay. There is no reason to make Mocha get up, go to work, except that we have that opportunity to love God and love others. Somebody else? One. Okay, if you hate what you're doing, you're doing it for the wrong purpose. That's good. I'm not sure I like that one. <laughs> I had a pretty challenging job this uh, prior to the one I'm currently doing. It was tough. Okay, uh, Stephen's highlighting the issue of value and quality of what we do. Uh, how often, you know, is our work maybe less than excellent because we can't? And or that we're doing it to please a human rather than God. It's good. If you're doing it for God, he is always watching. He's always with you. Uh, though your boss may not be. Okay, I, I think that's cool. Now, here's the flip side that Juan, I think, began to highlight. Anything I do that is not and cannot be done with the intent and purpose of loving God and others is irrelevant. It doesn't count. It's worthless. It's meaningless. It has no eternal value. These thoughts are beginning to transform me at the age of 51. And I hope they would you as well. When I was 29 years old, I saw the movie for the first time, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, When that movie ended, I went into our bedroom and I began to sob and to sob and to cry out to God, God, I want my life to count. And at age 51, to a great extent, I think it has. But you know what? It's not over yet. You know what else? After this week, I'm really not simply satisfied to have my life count. I want every moment of my life to count. I want every single task I do to be done for God. And every time I stand before another human being, whether it's my wife, my kids, a friend, a co-worker, a stranger, to see that moment as a divine appointment, an opportunity to fulfill my purpose of loving and caring for another human being. When I pass by another human being without some effort to express love through a smile or opening a door, a kind word, or letting them get in front of us if they're trying to move over in traffic, If I just pass by that without expressing that kind of care in some way, I have wasted a divine appointment. Now, we've got hundreds and thousands of cars, and I'm not advocating necessarily that every single one of those, but we're often in front and with someone. Walmart, restaurant, post office. Times when we would tend to compartmentalize and think, I've got to get on and move on with life. I've got to get somewhere else. 
I got to go do something else. And you may have. But if we pass by that person without recognizing that we exist, that the only reason we're here is to extend love, to offer a kind word, to in some way better that individual, we've missed it. And I believe that that this can transform us. This week we're looking at the second purpose of our lives, that of loving others. And while most of us have read lots of Bible verses about love, and many of us have heard dozens of sermons on love, and probably a few of us have taught uh, teachings on love, I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about the nature of love. I think it is fairly multifaceted. There's enough material in Scripture that I believe that we can come at it from a variety of ways, and I I hope uh, that as I share these comments this morning that you'll be able to uh, gain uh, something. For over 30 years now, my wife Claire and I have coached and counseled people, teenagers, young adults, young couples, older couples. And the most common thing that we have worked with people on is what? Relationships. And then the runner-up being probably addictions. To me, it is almost startling that Jesus gave us in the great commandment something that on one hand sounds so easy, loving others, but then on the other hand seems to be one of the hardest things in the world to do. I think it could be easy for you simply to think in your mind, well, are we going to have to talk about this again? Can't we just get on to something more important, something that's interesting? But maybe this morning, though you've heard it a thousand times, maybe we can invite God to bring revelation. So with that thought in mind, let's pray. Pop, I confess to you and to my friends and family here that I want this moment to count. I want the moment after the service when I have an opportunity to speak with someone or pray with someone to count, to make a difference. I want when I go home today and spend time with my family or even take a nap, that it will express glory and love. Father, we need to get this. We really do. And I pray that your Holy Spirit, who is the one who teaches and enlightens and brings revelation to speak to our minds and hearts today, that something in these words could trigger an understanding, something that can be taken away from here, implemented, and see our lives and the lives of those around us changed. God, help us to make a difference for your glory. In Jesus' name. So what is the heart or core of what it means to love another person? 
Matthew 22, Jesus identified the second greatest commandment, and he said, love your neighbor as yourself. This is uh, similar, but a little different than something else Jesus said once in the Sermon on the Mount. Can anybody quote the golden rule? It's a little louder, somebody. Yes, that's from the Sermon on the Mount. Those are Jesus' words. Now, the focus of that verse, however, for me, is kind of a little bit me. How do I want to be treated? And then, you know what, I'll treat others that way so that they'll treat me that way. Now, there's still truth there. Jesus wouldn't have said it. But for me, I see too much me in there. And I think in this phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, there is perhaps a a greater grasp there. So let's talk about that for a minute. What, What could it look like or what might it look like to love another person as you love yourself? Give me some examples. Okay, you're cutting pieces of pie. And you cut one that's slightly bigger than the other one? That's right. Absolutely correct. You eat that bigger piece so that they don't have to work harder to lose the weight. It's good. Okay, we take care of ourselves. We make sure we have clothing and are comfortable and um, have something fun to do occasionally. What could what would that look like to do that instead to someone else? Just a second, I'll get back to you. What, what, what I mean, obviously giving you know clothing to the poor, but I mean, how many have done that this year in the last year? You know, I mean, there we got got a couple here. Three, oh, good, good for you. But that, that's, a, that's a little harder. Hold your tongue at work. That's good. Listen. Okay. When you go out with friends, if you know that there's some financial challenges, you have that opportunity to give for them, take care of them. You take care of you, right? You make sure you, unless unless you're the, unless you make sure someone else takes care of you. <laughs> mommy, mommy, <laughs> I need my money. Couple other examples. How, what is it? What what could it look like to love another as you love yourself? What's something you do for yourself that we could turn around and do for others? Okay, so the idea of um, 
a little bit like the golden rule. How would we like to be treated? It's okay that Jesus said that one. It's all right. It's not a bad one. But uh, potentially in most environments, work, parties, church, community group, uh, there's often an individual or two who are sort of on the side. They're either new, they don't know anyone, uh, maybe there are social issues, and they might be shunned. And to be thoughtful as we enter various settings where there are people, to actually be alert to those who perhaps might be more alone. That's good. All right, let's move on. Loving others as we care for ourselves. John 15:12 through 14 Jesus gave another description of the heart of love where he said this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends now here again in a slightly different form is the second greatest commandment but this time, Jesus is summarizing to his instructions to his disciple uh, on the night before he's to be crucified. And he calls this his commandment, that we love one another. And he qualifies how we're to love others by saying, love others as I have loved you. So how did Christ love us? Ultimately, of course, the sacrifice on the cross. But what other ways did Christ love? He he hung out with people. He spent time. He gave of himself. He washed their feet. He didn't condemn. He extended life. He was willing to be perceived as foolish for the benefit of others. He was always getting in trouble for doing something good. He even got crucified for it. Right? So it is possible that as we live a life like Christ and love like he did, that we might get some flack. Anything else just standing out for anyone? Okay. He hung out with folks that other people rejected. Well, it's clear, I think, in the Bible that we're to love all people. Surely that is extremely clear. There are also some very clear directives that we're to extend particular love to those in the family of God. The Apostle Peter said in his letter, honor everyone but love the family of believers. Apostle John said in his first letter, in John, 1 John 4, 20 and 21, if someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we do not love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. And for me, I think it is an absolute cop-out for someone to say, well, I have to love you, but I don't have to like you. 
That is absolute prideful sin. But it is something that occasionally we consider. I don't think Jesus ever had that as an issue. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 10 said, Now concerning love for your Christian brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anyone write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. But we urge you, beloved, to do so more. So here we love all. Expression of love and care for other believers. Why is this? Someone might say, what, what's, what's the big deal? Well, it is a big deal. Because when people in the world are struggling in their relationships, and they find their world crashing down around them because of divorce or dropped cold by their significant other, they want answers. And they want answers that come from people where they see it working. Jesus said in John 13:35, "This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love that you have for one another." Now there's a lot of reasons why the unchurched don't like church. But one of the biggest is the fact that they don't see it being much different among Christians than they experience in their own life. You know, the story of church splits, and people being hurt, leaving, separating, is very, very common in the church. It's, it's pretty rare to find a congregation where there, this isn't a challenge. The world is desperate for help and answers to their crisis, the crisis in their relationships. And we as followers of Jesus should have answers because it's working for us. And if it's not, then as those who believe the Bible and God's help and power, then we need to get some help and figure out what's wrong. And personally, I think what's wrong is that we have missed the true meaning of love. When we read John 15, 12-14, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Love is used and defined uh, by people in our world in very different ways. Uh, people say, I love pizza. I love your hair. I love roller coasters. Friends might say, hey, I love hanging out with you. I love being part of this group. Parents might say to their children, I love you, when they're saying goodnight. Boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands and wives will say, I love you, to one another. Well, the Bible also distinguishes a few different kinds of love. But it uses different words to describe them. And I'm sure that many of you have heard this, but I want you to think about this again. One of those words that's used in the Greek is phileo. This is an affectionate kind of love. It's, it's the kind of love between close friends and family members. It's used only a few times in the New Testament. And it is translated in many translations, brotherly love, or love for brothers and sisters. It, it essentially says, 
I really like you. I care for you. It's affectionate. Another word that we're all familiar with is eros, from which we get the word erotic. And at its root, it is a self-seeking love. Its object may be another person, but its goal is to get something. A man may say to his girlfriend, I love you, in the midst of making out with the intention to get her to sleep with him. It's a self-gratifying kind of love. The third kind of love used in the Bible, and the one that is used most of the time, by far the majority, is agape. Agape is a selfless love. It is the love that is described that God has for us, that Jesus had for those that he spoke to. This is the word Jesus used when he said, this is my commandment that you agape one another as I have agape you. In contrast to eros, which seeks its own good, agape seeks what is best for the other. And I think Philippians 2, 3, and 4 perhaps describes this agape love very, very well, as, of course, does 1 Corinthians 13. In Philippians 2, from the Today's New International Version, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. Eros is a taking love. Agape is a giving love. Eros says, what am I going to get out of this? Agape says, how can I best serve you and your needs? Eros says, I desire you. Agape says, I desire to give myself to you as one who serves and to lay down my life, my desires, my wants and needs, and care for yours. Really, Eros isn't love at all. It's lust. It's passion to get, where agape is true love, and its passion is to give. So let me ask you, which of these two kinds of love does Paul mean when he says, husbands, love your wives? Agape. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, if I could ask the question, single gals, how would you feel if a man offered you that kind of love? Married wives? Anybody would like their husband to offer them that kind of love? All right, so that I'm not condemned for being a female chauvinist. Single guys, would you... Feel good with the woman offering that kind of love, that selfless love? Married guys, be okay? Well, that's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5 when he spoke to husbands and wives as well as parents and children. Paul is advocating a mutually self-sacrificing love that lays down its own personal desires and wants to serve the needs and wants of the other. And that is the kind of marriage that will work. If I'm focusing my attention on caring for Clara and meeting her needs, and she is focusing her attention on caring for me and meeting my needs, we're pretty happy people. 
the breakdown in marriages and in relationships happens when a couple enters into marriage with Eros love, looking to have their needs met while giving little attention to the needs of others. Essentially, it's like two people standing on opposite sides of the room, waiting for the other to cross the room to care for them. It'll never happen. The only way that happens is with agape love. A marriage also can't last where only one person is living out agape love and the other is living out eros. It it will eventually melt down. Paul is advocating mutually loving, serving, and giving relationships. And a really cool thing about this is that God intends that to be the kind of love we have for one another in the church as well. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul, First Peter, uh, Peter, excuse me, we said it before. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. Our relationships in the church, in our community groups, are to express that kind of deep care for one another. Let me ask you. Did Jesus have deep relationships? Who who might you think of when you think of Jesus having deep relationships? The three disciples? Martha, Mary, Lazarus? Those are probably the six that stand out. What do you think made those relationships deep, more significant? Jesus loved everyone, right? But something was different here. What was that? I'm sorry? The others loved Jesus in a way that perhaps wasn't ordinary. That's good. That, that, see, I think what she's highlighting there is that mutuality. Jesus loved everyone. Everyone that stood in front of Jesus experienced and received his love. Even the Pharisees. They just got the backhand of love. Straighten up your act. I love you and I want to see you in heaven with me. Front hand of love caresses the backhand of love. What do you think those six experienced in their relationship with Jesus? What were maybe what were some of those characteristics of those relationships with Jesus that you can think of? Okay, consistency and effort on Jesus' part to love to love them. I think he did that to everybody though. But anyway, Comfort. Time. I I think I've I've kidded with this. I think Jesus used to go to, you know, after church you'd go hang out at Mary and Martha and Lazarus's house for dinner. They did small group together. That's one of those times Jesus uh, Mary sat at his feet. Time. Sure.
Now the, the act of washing Jesus' feet by whichever Mary it was, um, the nard perfume that she used in the in the John passage, um, it gave a value of a year's wages for someone. And people were ticked that she had done that. The thing that caught my attention once was Lazarus had died a week and a half earlier. We look at the text. And she had not used that on him. The likelihood is she didn't go out and buy it for that day for Jesus. She had saved it. And something in her being caused her to not use it on her brother. To demonstrate agape love to one who had always given her a God. Back in 1999 and 2000, I taught material on developing and maintaining healthy relationships. And I want to conclude here this morning by sharing a, a, just a, a simple bit of that teaching. For some of you, of course, that will be review, but hopefully a good review, like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, I remember that. I, sh- I should try that again. Uh, some of you will be new material, and I hope it will be helpful. I think we all can easily agree that healthy relationships don't just happen. It takes conscientious effort to develop close, meaningful relationships. And uh, we were taught, and I shared this, uh, these four characteristics of deep, meaningful relationships. The first one is described or named, labeled as affectionate caring. I care about you. Genuine care for one another is, is in a significant part of healthy relationships. First John 4, 7 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Affectionate caring involves several aspects. Uh, part of that is, I want to know you. To care for someone, we have to know them well, deeply. To care for someone deeply. We can open a door, greet someone, do a lot of things at uh, a less level. But again, deep relationships. If we're going to have deep relationships, we need to know one another. We need to get to know another's strengths, their weaknesses, gifts, talents, their pains, their needs, their dreams. Any other information that contributes to making this person the unique and special person they are. We have to spend time. We have to learn. We have to ask questions. Takes time. Secondly, it, uh, affectionate caring says, I want to enter into your world. People feel especially cared for when we enter into their world, particularly when doing so may inconvenience us and when it requires a sacrifice on our part. And that will require us investigating, inquiring into what is unique about their world, what is unique about uh, them. How can I enter into their world? Thirdly, it says, I'm available to you. We need to be on call for those we care about. We have to be willing to develop our plans and spend time as necessary to meet their needs. Again, deep, meaningful relationships don't come easy. There is a cost to them. A second element would be vulnerable communication. We've already suggested that in order to care deeply, we need to know 
And so vulnerable communication would say, I trust you. There's a difference between surface communication and vulnerable communication. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very own selves. Because you have become so dear to us. Surface communication is things like sports, headline news, weather, general stuff. How's your day? Fine, thanks. And yours? Okay. What's for dinner? Vulnerable communication includes issues of the heart, sharing our feelings, our weaknesses, our fears, hopes, things that bring us joy, hardship. How was your day? I really struggled today. At one point I was overwhelmed with insecurity about my ability to really get my job done. I had that happen this week. I'm really sad about that. Thank you for trusting me and sharing that with me. And I pray for you. Vulnerable communication is based on several things. It says, I'm willing to share with you from my innermost being, which involves our deepest thoughts, our emotions, and our convictions. When I vulnerably share with you, I trust you to not think less of me because of what I share, to not use the information against me, to be confidential, and as well to be willing to share vulnerably with me a mutuality of relationships. The first ingredient of healthy relationships is affectionate caring. The second is vulnerable communication. And the third is joint accomplishment. It says, I need you. I want to help you. There's a special bonding that takes place when we do something together with others. Relationships are deepened when we share and serve together. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. Joint accomplishment can take place in a lot of different ways. It can happen in our homes. Um, Claire and I have always enjoyed decorating our homes together, whether that be you know, painting or picking you know, things or carpet or things. And it's, it's fun. It's, it's fun to do that together. It can happen, of course, at work and as we share and uh, various projects with others. It can happen in our community groups. It can happen on mission trips, camps, retreats, work projects. Joint accomplishment can even happen when we're playing, when we're having and experiencing recreation. But joint accomplishment takes time. It doesn't happen in a letter or an email or over the phone. It requires an investment. When we give our time and attention to someone, we're giving something that is irreplaceable. That time we spent is gone, and we will never have it again. That is why love requires relationship and connection. When an absent father sends a birthday gift or a toy or money, but doesn't come himself, the gift is hollow. But when the gift comes with the father himself sitting on the floor playing with the child in their new toy, it is love. Joint accomplishment requires thought, energy, time, and sometimes money. But it always requires us. Sending someone to help a friend move is nice. But showing up brings connection and deepens relationship. And then a fourth uh, element or ingredient 
of deep relationships is mutual giving. It says, I love you. I want to serve you. And it's the essence of genuine love, agape love, as we have described this morning. It joyfully says, I'm going to concentrate on giving to you and not to take from you. I find greater happiness in your happiness than in my own. Deep intimacy is expressed in sacrificial giving and care. As I've always already referred to, most always when there's a breakdown of relationship, one or both of the individuals have become wrapped up in their own needs and stopped giving to the other and the relationship. Healthy relationships are always about you and us and not about me. Mutual giving is the essence of agape love. It's the love that Jesus modeled on the cross. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice for God. We have been formed for friendship and family. God never intended for us to be alone, but formed us for friendship and family, friendship with him and others, and family within the human family as well as our spiritual family, his church. And all of these ingredients need to be a part and are elements of deep, healthy relationships, affectionate care, vulnerable communication, joint accomplishment, mutual giving. They require our engaged participation. That won't happen if we sit around waiting for the phone to ring or someone to stop by. We all must learn to be initiators. We all must seek the best of another, which means that we need to reach out, that we need to pursue that care of others. The way to have significant friendships is by being a significant Papa, we have heard uh, many of these elements. We've read them. We've considered them. We've maybe even studied them. But I welcome a transition from our and from our hearts to our feet. Love is an action. Love is of considering another and how I might impact and affect them for their good. It requires a death to self. And we don't like to die. We kind of like living, having our needs met, getting what we want. That's not what makes your world go round. Papa, I just welcome you to stir our minds, hearts, bodies, and souls that we exist for the purpose of loving you and loving others. Would you stir us to remembrance that every Every encounter with another human being is a divine encounter. 
opportunity to express our purpose, to fulfill our destiny. And Lord, as we see in the lives of the three disciples, and Mary, and Martha, and Jesus, Lord Jesus loved them all the same, but something was different. It was their initiation of agape love. And it brought a deepening, a connection that brought tremendous love. Still place in the scriptures. Papa, there are many here who struggle in relationships, who struggle with deep relationships. It is hard. And I pray that you would help us to be initiates of care to others. Lord, many of us have been wounded in relationships. We've given ourselves to another and then been left. Father, I welcome you to heal us. Those hurts are hindrances. It's hard to risk again. Another time. For all of that sin on the cross. The sin that we have committed to others and the sin that others have committed against us. You paid for it all. You carried the shame the hurt, the humiliation for us. Let us die to those things of the past and to move forward in the fulfillment of the power of your resurrected life. Empower us, Lord, to make the right choices. Stir our minds to recognize the opportunities. And Lord, might we be so changed and transformed that those around us who don't yet know truly be attracted to us. And they walk up to us and say, what in the world is different about you? Why are you so happy? Why are you like you? Lord, the world is desperate for help in the area of relationships. And we must be the ones to bring that good news. But it's got to start with us. Thank you, Papa. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. Just invite those who would like to come forward. Um,
as we conclude the service. Some of you are aware and alert as I pray about the hurts and the, the fears. Hurts from the past and fears of the future. And I would just welcome you to uh, come up and let some of us folks pray with you to see if we can help you get on the hook from that baggage that's weighing you down, that's tripping you up. And then there's others of you that just recognize your weakness, your just lack of, you know it, you agree with it, but it doesn't happen. I'd like to pray for you as well. And then there's a few of you, I think, that have particularly some unchurched folks in your life that came to mind today for some reason as we talked about this topic. And I believe that the Lord stirred that so that we could pray with you to help you be Jesus to them and show the kind of agape love that He showed to us. So again, that might be another area. And then some of you here may just simply be uh, challenged uh, in various or sundry ways. You've got decisions to make, uh, financial pressures, taxes, time, uh, career choices maybe. We welcome you, any of you would like uh, someone to pray with you. So if I got to have some of those who would help, come on up. Thank you all for coming. It's good to have you. Worship was fun. It's good to hang out with you all. And uh, I pray this week will be one of uh, joy for you. Have a great week.